For this morning's meditation, let's all turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Before I begin reading, I'd like to um, mention the theme of this morning's message as was laid on my heart, and that is, what are the attributes of a healthy church? And I feel that Apostle Paul here, as he has outlaid this letter in chapter 5 of Thessalonians, he describes many characteristics of what a healthy church looks like. So with God's help this morning hour, I would like to go verse by verse, and as we read the scripture, I would like to, with God's help, discourse on the different um, themes and topics within this chapter. And this morning we're going to learn together what it means to have a healthy church. A few years ago, um, I was inspired by my wife to take my health more seriously. And, you know, as you live life and, and, and when you get older, your body doesn't... Um, um, it's not as forgiving, and I found that my eating habits were quite poor. I definitely enjoy eating, and I was not exercising very much. And I was inspired by her, not by what she said, but by her actions, and I decided to take a concerted effort to, to be more careful of what I eat and what goes in my mouth, um, the type of food, and also as the amount of food, and to start a regular exercise program. And it was hard. It was painful. But I, I stuck to it, and, and, and I ended up um, seeing the benefits of, of the results of, of doing that, of focusing on my personal health. And, you know, I, I found, you know, I'm getting middle-aged now. It's, it's embarrassing to, to hear, to see how I'm getting, getting older. I don't feel as old as I am. But I was getting out of bed in the morning, and I was just achy and tired and, and just feeling old. It just didn't feel right. And, and, and I found I would get sick very often, and it, I wasn't as healthy as I should be. And I found that once I had started to get more healthy, started losing weight, and started... Uh, my body was getting healthier. The opposite was true. I found that I was less achy. I wasn't as tired. I wasn't getting sick as often. And and it was and I had a better sense of well-being. And, and it was an amazing thing. But it doesn't just happen. It was very intentional. I had to work hard for it. And this morning, our dear brothers and dear sisters, when I say what are the attributes of a healthy church, that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just automatically appear that, you know, I'm going to be part of or I happen to have a healthy church. It's very intentional and very deliberate on all of our parts if our church is going to be healthy. So let's begin by going through uh, this chapter again, First Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, let's begin reading from the beginning. But, uh, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. 
I know myself, I'm getting older and I need to take care of myself. I could ignore it and, and just um, go into my older age and not be very happy and healthy and very functional. But I realized that I had to do something about it and, and there was a big difference. But more so than that, that's very, you know, we're mortal creatures and one day we will all perish. But on a spiritual sense, it's there's much more at stake, you know, the, and we shouldn't be surprised that spiritually we must always seek to improve and to get better. There's no secret to that, that this is something that's mandated for us. For when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. You know, all of a sudden, when you're older, and you have this this sickness upon you, and, and you end up in the hospital, so, oh, you know, now what do I do? And then the doctor saying, well, you know, had you kind of taken care of yourself, you wouldn't be in this position. So, dear ones, it's up to us spiritually. Maybe we can't complain if we end up in a situation that is not good for us as a church if we weren't taking care of ourselves spiritually. But ye brethren are not in darkness that they that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of day of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And dear brothers and sisters, we are children of the light. It's a, a an encouragement to us that we belong to God. We are God's children. We have value. The, 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 the creator of the universe, all that we see and don't see, has made you and me. And he has a personal relationship with each one of us. It's amazing as we learn more about who God is and that we belong to him, that we are children of the light. We have so much going for us that it behooves us that we pay attention that what does this creator want from each one of us? Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So we're being warned, brothers and sisters, that we don't fall asleep. When we're asleep, life passes us by. You know, we have no idea what's going on when we're sleeping. But when we're awake, we can be part of and so we even think spiritually, are we spiritually asleep? Are we letting life just exist, even within the, 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 the body of Christ, that we just exist and are not really paying attention? But we're encouraged to be sober. For they that sleep in the night, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. I propose to you, the scripture often talks about not to be drunk and to be sober. And I propose to you that most of the world are all drunk. And sadly, it really affects the church and the body of Christ. Most of the world has to deal with a form, some form of addiction. This is not certain individuals that we could think of that might be alcoholics or drug addicts and that need to go to recovery home to get better. I'm talking about most of the population out there are addicts. And unfortunately, it does affect us too, brothers and sisters. How do you find addic- define addiction? You can define addiction in many different ways. But in, in the sense that I'm talking about it, it's trying to avoid 
living life. We're looking to be doing something to avoid thinking, to avoid feeling, to avoid decision-making, to avoid living life. And we do this by being busy with other things to prevent ourselves from being alone with our thoughts, from having to hang out with ourselves and listen to what our mind and hearts and conscience are telling us. We don't want to hear what we have to say to ourselves because we don't like what we say to ourselves. And the whole world is like this because God has put that grain of light in each person that life is not what appears before you. There's more to life than what you see. And each one of us don't want to face who we are and what we're all about. And so we right away go fine and run away from it. Hence, drugs. Hence, alcohol. Hence, gaming. Gambling. Internet. Pornography. Work. Worry. Anxiety. All these things that we use to run away from life. And dear ones, we're called instead to not be drunk but to be sober. And most of the world just gets by. And a few, their addictions get so bad and so hurtful that they have to go seek help. And they end up in a recovery home or go see a professional to get help. But so many of this world, they're, they're still drunk, but they're functional and they manage. Their home life is not good. Their personal life is not good, but they manage and they get by. And there, a lot of them are ignorant. They don't know what to do. But dear brothers and sisters, we know what to do. We know we must be sober-minded. We are not allowed to be like the world and get distracted like the world does. But instead, be sober-minded. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. So now we're getting into the section of Scripture that talks about what can we do as children of God. The first thing that's mentioned here is faith, the breastplate of faith. Our spiritual life began with faith. It was our faith which was our response to God wooing us and calling us to him. The Spirit of God moves amongst all men, calling men to him. And if you have but a grain of faith, you can hear God's call. And as long as you are exposed to God's word and exposed to God in some form through an experience, through God's word, through scripture, so some way we were able to respond to that wooing to God's call, fall at his feet and say, God, I need you, take me. And that's when we recognize we were sinners and we ask God for forgiveness for, for, for what, who we were and that we turned to God and God graciously accepted us and we did that by faith. And God in, strengthened our faith and gave us enough faith that we could be saved. But brothers and sisters, that faith must continue and grow. 
It's that same faith that we came to know him and were saved by Christ, that same faith must grow continually in our spiritual life. And if we're going to be a healthy church, that faith must grow. And how does that grow? By being in the Lord, by being in this church, by being wherever the Lord wants us to be through our experiences and through listening to the word of God and through reading scripture, our faith grows. And we're strengthened by our faith. And our faith allows us to to mature and become more Christ-like. So, dear brothers and sisters, if we want to have a mature church, we need to continually allow our faith to grow. The next one is love. And love is such a big word, and it's a huge topic unto itself. But in a sense, just for this morning, we'll talk about that agape love. The love, the sacrificial love of Jesus. And that we're called to have that same love that he had for us, each individually in the body, the church. That we're submissive, that we're obedient, that we seek to be just like him. And that as Christ has loved us while we were still sinners, that we did not deserve that love and he had mercy upon us. That we have that same love one for another, that we are willing to sacrifice for each other, that we're willing to esteem each other higher than ourselves. That is the love that God is calling us to if we're going to have a healthy church. And the hope of salvation, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us that we would, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. This hope of salvation, the fact that we're not appointed to wrath, we are the elect. If you're part of the body of Christ, you are the elect. You're not appointed to death. We are not appointed to those who are going to destruction by their choice because they rejected the call of God. Dear brothers and sisters, if we're part of a healthy body, we must remind ourselves that we are victorious. We are victorious. Now put yourself in the shoes of a soldier who is out in the battlefield. You know, it's one where you're in the middle of the battle and the enemy is just coming at you with everything that the enemy has. It's not always easy to think about being victorious. You know, we're, we, we're tempted to run for our lives. We're tempted to run away. We're tempted to get discouraged by, by seeing our brother or sister falling next to us. And that battle is not easy. And it's easily, it's easy to get discouraged. But as soldiers, we're different than the earthly armies that when they go out to battle, there's no guarantee they will win that battle. There's always the chance they will lose. But for us, brothers and sisters, if the scripture is true, if our God is real, the battle is already won. Do not get discouraged by what you see. The battle is tough. And if you think it's tough now, wait till the future. Wait till the church Whenever that time comes, is at the end times, 
and how tough it will be then. The Lord even said, will I find faith? He knew he will find faith, but it was an admonishment to us to be prepared and to know that we're soldiers and that we need to be strong and do not get discouraged by what you see around you. And it's tempting to get discouraged and to think there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with us. Because I seem to be losing. I'm not winning. Because we're looking with our eyes and we're not looking with faith. Dear brothers and sisters, if that's us, if that's you, I encourage you to, to take the comfort in the scripture, this promise of God. He has not appointed us to wrath. We are victorious that we will have Christ. Whether we're dead or alive, we belong to God. May you claim that promise as part of your life. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as all see you do. We're encouraged as we're part of the body of Christ to get along. You know, as, as a parent, we watch our children and there are times when we watch our children and we see them not getting along. And we see them argue and they're very upset with each other and they're each explaining their point of view. I'm saying it nicely, but we've all been there. And as a parent, we'll listen to this. We're kind of in the background and we hear they're snipping at each other and it doesn't feel good. You know, you listen to them and, and sometimes it gets to the point where we need to step in. But other times we let it run its course and, you know, you can't always step in every time and depending on the situation. But as, as, as a father and as my wife, when we hear that, it's not great to hear. And it just, it hurts, you know, like we don't want that for them and we know that they know better. But, the opposite is also true. When we hear our kids getting along, when we see them, that love they have for one another, we see that, that joy they have for being in each other's presence and the pleasure they are enjoying together. And I've also had the, the, the privilege of, of having numerous children, that some are older and some are younger. And I, I've watched in, in a large family where there's huge age disparities, it's beautiful to see how the older children, my older kids, take care of the younger kids. And it's, it's just wonderful. And I look at some of my older kids, and they, they put me to shame as a parent. And they're, thinking, they're better parents than me. And I watch them, you know, admonish and, and take care of. And, 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 the, and the younger kids, when they're hurt, they go run often to their older sibling for comfort. And as a parent, I see this, and it's beautiful to see. And can you imagine our Heavenly Father, what He thinks when He sees us bicker and fight and don't get along? And what He feels. And can you imagine our Heavenly Father, what He thinks when He sees us, how we love and enjoy being with each other and get along? Dear brothers and sisters, maybe you look at this 
particular verse, verse 11, that you comfort one another and edify one another. What does the Father's heart, what does he think about us and our interactions with one another? Do we really care about our brother and sister? And look at it from the Father's perspective. Verse 12. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And at this verse, I would like to switch gears a little bit and talk about your leadership. This verse talks about that the church needs to think about the leadership. And he mentions three things in here. That, first of all, that they labor. Your leaders need to labor to be, for the church to be healthy. They have to actually work. It doesn't just happen. They don't just exist. It's not just a figurehead. They work. And if I know your leaders, like I've seen many leaders of churches, they work hard. It can be very tiring and very weary physically, emotionally. And there's so much going on behind the scenes that your leaders have to deal with that you don't see. And the stresses they have to put up with. And we need to be mindful of that. That they labor and, and are often have carry heavy burdens. And sometimes I've watched church leaders, you can almost see the, the burden physically weigh them down. They're so burdened with all the issues they have to take care of in the church. And maybe we're willing to recognize that they have to labor. And the next word they use is that they're over you. No, that, 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 that they're over us. And it's, again, though, we have to be careful how we interpret that word. It's where they're like that father. It talked about in the scripture that, that the, they're the leaders, they're the fathers of the church. That they're there to, to, to encourage, to, to be there to help the church be healthy. And that's their job to, to, with patience and love, to try to make sure that church is growing together in unity and love. That's their job. And it's a challenge. They're also there to admonish. It says right here in Scripture that they're to admonish us. And unfortunately, they're still human. And they still have their personalities. And we live in a day and age now where we're, we're quick to get offended when maybe they may have made a mistake, when maybe their personality may have gotten in the way. But it is their God-given duty to admonish us, to move the church along towards maturity, towards health, towards growth. And they're not perfect. And we need to have that grace to see that their hearts are in the right place. That they desire to do their job. I'm, I'm not so sure that if they had it their way, that after a while of being leaders, that they'd want to keep that position. I think after a while, you know, maybe let someone else do this. This is not so easy. Maybe we recognize that if they're doing their job, Sometimes it should make us uncomfortable. If their leaders, I'm going to call out your leaders here a bit, and hopefully I don't offend, but if your leaders are making you comfortable, 
and making your spiritual life easy where it's easy to be here and your spiritual life is easy, you're not being pushed to be better, they're not doing their job. It's their job in love, in patience, to push us, to admonish us, to make us want to be better, to not let us be comfortable. Change and improvements is not easy. It's uncomfortable. For when I had to do improve my own personal health, it was not fun. I, I would rather run to the fridge and do what I normally do and just eat, eat everything in sight. And to sit there and resist was hard. And to make a decision to go exercise when I'd rather sit on the couch was hard. But much more spiritually. We know we must do it individually, push ourselves. But we also have the leadership to push as well. And if they're doing their job, we should feel that and know that they want our best interest in mind. And dear ones, it's synergistic here. It's, it's united. We do it together. It's not where it's top-down decision-making and I, what, what, it's my way or the highway. It's never like that. It was never meant to be that way. They did a study um, a number of years ago in this large company, yeah, IBM, I'm sure you most have heard of it. It's in many countries around the world. And they found that, that when the executives would get together and they would make a decision uh, that very intelligent people, very wise people, that this is the way that we want the company to go and for the company to get better, more profitable, this is what we're going to do. So the, the executives would get together and then they would say, tell the whole uh, corporation throughout the world, this is what we're going to do. And they found out that most times they failed. Most times they failed. And they, they lost billions of dollars. Until they realized that what they needed to do was get everyone involved. All the associates from all the countries, from all the organizations, everyone had to be part of the decision making. That it was done synergistically, that everyone's input mattered. And they found when they did that, they had great success. It wasn't easy. In fact, it was very difficult. It wasn't very practical in many ways because so many more people were involved and it was easier for a few to make the decision. But they found they had greater success for the company if they were all involved. And dear brothers and sisters, just an example, an analogy that within the church, we all are involved. There's no such thing as, as something imposing something upon us and forcing something down our, our throats. It's every one of us must look at our hearts and say, what is my input into the decision to make the church more mature and grow? Everyone's view is important. And the leadership is intended to facilitate that. Now we exhort you, brethren, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So we talked about the first half of that verse, to esteem them very highly, that we respect them and that we, we recognize that God has placed them there. And even the scripture talks about how they will take, they will give an account for us before God one day and that we would make sure that that account, account is good on our part. But the second half of that verse, and be at peace among yourselves. Again, exhorting us that we, as the body, seek 
to be one, to be united. We see how the Lord, in his prayer, in his final prayer, said, I desire that they would all be one. That's a whole sermon unto itself. But it's God's heart that we would all be one and united. That is the most important thing to him. Is that we desire to be united, to be, to be together. And it's a sign of a healthy, mature church that you individually seek to be united and to be one and to be together. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. And here we're talking, in a sense, the modern terminology would be conflict resolution. And how do we deal with conflict and disagreement? At work, I have the privilege, I work in, as an engineer in the tool industry, and I have the privilege of working with my siblings. And if there's ever an opportunity to grow and to improve yourself, is work with your siblings. I work with an older brother, a younger brother, and a sister. And needless to say, there are occasions where we don't get along. And there's this tendency as us as siblings that we're sometimes a little bit more free, a little bit more opinionated with each other more so than others. And we're a little bit more free to like be critical of our of our brother or sister. And the other day, I could tell the story because my brother's not here and I am, so you'll hear my version. I was very upset because I gave a directive to one of the managers, and um, he did not respond well. And I did not appreciate that way he responded. So I complained to my brother. I says, "This is not right." The way he responded. So my brother blamed me. I said, and I was really, really upset. And I knew I was right. But how can he blame me for something that I know I'm right? And so I got upset, and so I called him on it. I said, how could you treat me this way? Here I am looking for your support, looking for you to comfort me, and you call me out and say it's my fault. And I was, I stewed for a couple days. Not just that day, a couple days. I was hurt. I was really hurt. And I was like, my thoughts went into areas you don't want to know. And I realized that even though the basic truth of what happened, I was right, there was also something that I was not seeing clearly, where I was seeing it, but I wasn't fessing up to it. My brother was trying to point it out to me. Now, I could have responded by saying, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, you know what? i got to be more careful there. That's a weakness of mine that i got to work on, and that's why that manager responded that way. Thank you for pointing that out to me. But instead, I was offended, and I was hurt. And I, what did I do? I started looking at all his faults. Boy, there's a long list there. And I wanted to, in my mind, I was listing all his faults and why he's not a very perfect person. And who, who is he to call me out on my fault? Look at his fault. He should deal with his faults first. And I, I, I remember this. And I struggled to see my fault in the issue. 
And I am also tell you another example. I work, I have two managers that just don't get along. And I see how they work together, and I try so hard to be that mediator between the two. Because they're both highly intelligent people, highly productive people, very important parts of the company. But when they put them together, they don't mesh. And I look at each individually, and it wouldn't take much for them to change their attitude and their perception and that willingness to work along, work together. And I can see it clearly, those two... I'm very clear to see how they don't get along. But I don't so clearly see myself when I was part of the conflict. I was very blind to myself. And I hope as you listen to me talk about the story, we can see the application in the church. Conflict resolution. It's very easy to point out and see the faults of one another. And see their reasonings and their thinking what's wrong with it. But it's very difficult to see it in ourselves. And we have to learn to have that spiritual mindset to look at ourselves first. There will always be conflict. Does that mean there's something wrong with the church? Does that mean the church is not healthy if there's conflict? And we're quick to say, well, yeah, we shouldn't have conflict. But that's that's not reality. That's just not true. If we're together, we will have conflict. That's just inevitable. Tell me a a marriage by its nature is the joining of two people together. And the beauty of a marriage is where they're united, working together through all the issues. You have two personalities that have to work together in love to support one another and to support the union. And the same with the church. You're not always going to think and feel and be the same way. But where God is glorified, where God is honored, is when we seek to find ways to work together synergistically finding ways, and we will survive any conflict. It doesn't matter how big or how, if we don't have the answers, if we're not sure what that conflict, the resolution, it's just, you know, it's too difficult to understand. Brothers and sisters, we must accept the fact that we are children of God, that we belong to the body of Christ, that no matter what happens to us, we will survive the conflict. And a lot of times we want to let it pull us down. We think we're going to lose this battle. There's no way we're going to win. And it's just not true. But it takes deliberate intentionality on our part to be part of that healthy church to make sure that it's true. See that, verse 15, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but every, ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And again, it's talking about a form of, of, of conflict resolution. A lot of times, brothers and sisters, you know, it's saying here, don't render evil for evil. Don't Get back at each other. You know, a lot of times it's really not the issue that we're arguing about. Pick, pick an issue, whatever it might be. Often it's not that issue, which is the reason you have the conflict. Often it's, it's, it's the desire and the motive behind it. 
It's the emotion and the feeling that we have. You know, when I take a position, I feel passionate about my position and how I feel. And when you tell me something different and say, no, you're wrong, brother or sister, how do you think that makes me feel? You know, and, and are we sensitive to a position that is opposite to ours? But not just what they're saying, not just the, what's coming out of their mouth, but what's in their mind, what's in their heart. What are they feeling? What are they thinking? Are we sensitive to the complete person, to that, that brother or sister, all of who they are, without judgment? So I need to fully understand you. And you need to fully understand me. And so often when we do that, we're fine and we're on the same page. But when we're quick to render evil for evil, sometimes we, we're not paying attention to what the other brother or sister is saying. And then we start defending our position and start looking and supporting our position and our view and discounting our brother and sister. Dear ones, may we truly listen to one another. And as we finish off here, sorry for going a little long here. Um, again, rejoice evermore. These are obvious that we have an attitude of, you know, look at Paul and Silas and what Paul went through. You know, so much turmoil in his life, so much beatings and shipwrecks and, and being chased away, and he survived it well. And when Paul and Silas were in jail, what did they do? They sang. The brothers and sisters, may we never forget that joy that Christ has saved us. And not get so caught up in the battle sometimes. Pray without ceasing. An obvious one. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. That we'll always have that thankful spirit. Quench not the spirit. That we are humble enough that we would not allow our lifestyle to become addicted in our drunkenness to tune out the spirit. But that we're sober-minded, and the more sober we are, the more we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. And prove all, sorry, the next verse, verse 20, despising not prophesying. Despise not prophesying. When you listen to preaching, when you listen to the Lord speaking to you in whatever manner it is, your fellow brother or sister, that you listen carefully. There's something called confirmation bias. It's a human behavior where too often when we listen to someone speak, let's say we listen to a sermon, we, we only listen to the parts that confirm my belief system and what I, and my position. And anything that goes against what I believe or feel, I don't pay attention to it or I ignore it and I don't want to hear that part of the sermon. And we're all susceptible to that. So we say despise not prophesying. Are we aware of our own biases? Are we willing to be purely humble and submissive to the Spirit's leading? That what is the sermon speaking to me? To me, not to my brother or sister. They better be listening. But to what is it speaking to me? Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. We need to prove all things. We're expected to look at all things. But that also means not just prove all new things, prove those things that are maybe something we're not used to and that are different, but prove also our current 
belief system, our current thinking. We need to also prove ourselves at all time. Do I stand now? Am I fully healthy? Am I fully integrated into the body? Or do I have some improvement to make myself? And if I do, I need to prove myself. And that's another um, human behavior uh, bias that we have, as though we don't like change. We, and I'm not even talking spiritual now, it's human behavior. We prefer things to be comfortable, stress-free. We don't like change. We don't like anything that, that makes us go away from the center of what we want, our, our preferences. And when we do, we look for excuses to get back to the center of our preferences and, and how it make us feel good. And unfortunately for Christians, we spiritualize it. We'll say, well, this is God's will for my life. I think this is God's leading that I go this direction. But in reality, all we're doing is making ourselves more comfortable. Are we truly seeking God's will? Are we truly seeking the, the, the betterment of the church, the health of the church? Or are we seeking our own will? And that's a very hard and difficult question we each must ask ourselves. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. And that which is good is for the health of the whole body. Not me, personally, but when I esteem my brother higher than myself. What is going to promote the health of the body? Dear brothers and sisters, a healthy body, both physically and spiritually, is an act of intentionality. We must be willing to intentionally desire to be healthy. And when we do, we will have a beautiful, healthy body. And the body, what is the body? It's the bride of Christ. And one day, Christ will come back to claim this body. And may each one of us be part of a body that is beautiful and loving and united and healthy, one that God would be pleased to see. May each one of us be willing to be part of a healthy church.